Let's get straight to the point. You want to grow your portfolio to deal with the rising cost of inflation to pay off your debt or your mortgage, pretty much anything standing in the way of you and financial freedom, right? Well, with Yahoo Finance, you can get access to the news, data, and tools that you need in order to help you reach that financial freedom. And when it comes to your financial future, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, you've invested all that you can. And now you need to take those investments to the next level by using what every financial great uses. Yahoo Finance. For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been the brand behind every great investor. They're the number one finance destination, producing a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and so much more. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination. That's yahoofinance.com. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early, so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. The Peter Schiff Show. I'd like to thank Indeed for supporting the Peter Schiff Show podcast. Indeed.com helps employers find quality job candidates with instant match. You can get a free $75 credit to upgrade your job post at Indeed.com slash Peter. Terms and conditions apply. This offer is valid through March 31st. Well, we ended a down week on a down note for all of the major stock market indexes. In fact, only the Russell 2000 managed to finish the week in the green, though it did finish the day in the red. In fact, gold was down this week. Gold stocks were down this week. Even Bitcoin was down on the week, although I'm not quite sure if the Bitcoin week is over. It's not really a Monday through Friday type of deal because it trades 24-7, although the grayscale Bitcoin Trust is definitely closed for the week and it finished in the red. So pretty much everything went down. And I think what some of the markets were reacting to was the move up in interest rates, which kind of turned a bit in the last couple of days of the week as markets started to roll over in response to rising rates. Of course, rising rates are being driven by rising inflation fears. Certainly, you can see that in the commodity prices, which are hitting five-year highs across the board. In fact, we did get some pretty bad numbers coming out on import and export prices. This was for the month of December. We got this information, I think, on Thursday. But import prices, which were supposed to rise by 06 instead jumped up by 0.9 and adding insult to injury, they even revised the prior month's benign up 0.1 to an up 0.2 and export prices, which were supposed to rise by just 0.4, they rose by 1.1 
and the prior month's revision was from up 0.6 to up 0.7. So we got some bad news on prices. You know, at the same time, on the same day, we got the most recent uh, jobless claims, and we had a big spike in claims from the prior week, which was revised slightly lower from 787, 787,000 new claims to 784,000. We were supposed to get 790,000 for the most recent week. Instead, claims shot all the way up to 965,000 claims. So we have unemployment and prices both going up at the same time, right? This is the Fed's worst nightmare, stagflation, because there's nothing in the Keynesian playbook that you can use to fight stagflation because according to Keynes, it's not even possible for that to happen because prices and employment are supposed to have an inverse correlation. And remember, the way the Keynesians fight unemployment is to ease monetary policy, to print money, the lower interest rates. The way they fight inflation is you tighten monetary policy and you raise interest rates Well, how do you fight inflation and high unemployment at the same time? Because you can't implement opposite monetary policies together because you can't raise rates and, and lower rates at the same time. You can't ease and tighten monetary policy at the same time. So you gotta kinda pick your battles. And what the central banks always do is they will put unemployment before inflation because in theory, That's the worst evil, right? If people are losing their jobs, well, that's what we have to concentrate on. Inflation be damned. And of course, what people don't realize is that it's the unemployed and the lower income people that are hit hardest by inflation. And so by ignoring the inflation, they're actually making the plight of the unemployed even worse because now they're raising the cost of living, but they're gonna end up throwing more people out of work because if there's a problem in the economy, in that there's not enough spending. But if prices go up, well, then spending is going to go down because people can afford to buy less stuff. If the cost of the stuff they're buying is going up, uh, then they're going to buy less. And so you're going to get even more pressure on spending, and then you're going to have an even weaker economy. In fact, the Federal Reserve still believes that they can create economic growth and create jobs by printing money, and they can't do that. In fact, Jerome Powell was on television, I think it was yesterday morning, I watched him or afternoon, he was talking, I think, from one of the universities, um, I forget which one, but of course, you know, when, when Powell is lecturing everybody on economics, you know, it's really the blind leading the blind because he knows nothing about economics uh, and he's talking to people who know nothing about it. But I mean, what's worse, it's not just he doesn't know anything, it's that he thinks he knows something and what he thinks he knows is wrong. And that is the real danger. You know, you have all this power in the hands of somebody that has no idea what they're doing. You know, power and ignorance is a dangerous combination, especially when you're the chairman of the Federal Reserve, you have the power to print all this money. And you think that if you exercise that power, you're doing good, but you're actually doing harm. You know, Powell was talking about how uh, the economy is benefiting, how the government is helping, how the Federal Reserve is helping deal with the pandemic. They're not helping at all. They're just creating a problem that's even worse than the pandemic. If the government wanted to help, they should get out of the way. 
the government needs to lighten the burden that it places on the economy. Because when the economy is healthy, maybe it can afford the burden of big government. But when it's sick, when it's dealing with COVID, well, then it's it's not in a position to carry all that extra dead weight of government. Government should be easing the burden uh, by cutting spending. Instead, it's doing the opposite and it's adding an inflationary problem uh, to the health problem. And so we're in much worse shape. In addition to the bigger than expected jump in import export prices and the uh, bigger than expected increase in unemployment claims that we got yesterday, this morning, we got a much bigger than expected drop in retail sales. In fact, we revised down the drop that we got in November. We originally were told that retail sales dropped 1.1% in November and analysts were looking for a much smaller 0.1% drop in December. Instead, we revised the prior month down to a bigger drop, down 1.4%, and then we dropped 0.7% from there. And X vehicles, we revised the November decline, which was originally reported as down 09 We revised that up to a bigger decline of 1.3. And then instead of dropping by just 0.1, which was the expectation, we dropped by 1.4, which was even a bigger drop than the upwardly revised drop from the previous month. And in fact, it gets worse as you start excluding more things because when you kick out cars and gasoline, the prior month's 0.8% decline was revised to a decline of down 1.3. And the expectations for the 0.3 decline in December, we ended up down 2.1. So a two handle on the decline, down 2.1. And the control group, which was originally reported for the prior month as being down 0.5, we now know that it was down 1.1. And instead of the 0.2% bounce increase that analysts expected for the current month, we ended up with a decline of 2.0. So these were really bad retail sales numbers. Of course, this is the result of the renewed increase in the COVID cases and the re-lockdown of the economy because a lot of these retail sales that are not taking place our restaurants or uh, other establishments that are now negatively impacted by people staying at home due to the fear of getting COVID or the fact that they the, the businesses that they would like to patronize have actually been shut down either because they've done so voluntarily or they've been forced to by government. Of course, later in the evening, we got President-elect Joe Biden addressing the nation and revealing the details of his new $1.9 trillion economic stimulus package. Now, first of all, again, this is not going to stimulate the economy. This is going to sedate the economy. So it's not a stimulus. It is a sedative. And how does President-elect Biden intend to stimulate the economy? Why? With more government spending, paid for by more Federal Reserve money printing. What Biden wants to do is he wants to get those $2,000 checks in the mail to everybody. I'm not really sure if it's a new 2,000 or if it's 2,000 minus the 600 uh, that people already got. I wasn't exactly sure, but the checks are going to come and I'm sure that more will follow. Biden is also promising to extend 
the time period for the extended unemployment benefits and he wants to increase the size of the supplement. Remember, the initial uh, supplemental benefit was $600 a week. And then when that expired, they renewed it, but they cut it in half to 300. And now Biden wants to bump that back up to 400. And again, the problem with this is it creates an additional incentive for people not to return to work, especially in the case where your unemployment benefits with the federal supplement actually exceed what you used to earn in wages for your job. So clearly a lot of people would prefer a vacation where they get paid than going back to work, especially where, you know, they may even risk getting sick or something. So why not play it safe and stay home and collect even more money? So this is going to delay. In fact, Biden specifically said that this extra money will make it easier for the unemployed uh, to make ends meet while they're looking for jobs. What Biden is making it easier for the unemployed to do is delay their job search. They don't have to start looking for jobs because they got a better deal on unemployment than anything they can hope for in the employment market. And in fact, making matters worse, Biden said that another thing that he wants passed right away, and somehow this is part of the stimulus package, is an increase in the federal minimum wage up to $15 an hour. Now, of course, if that is actually passed and implemented right away, well, that's going to uh, make these unemployment benefits an even bigger deal because the higher minimum wage is going to make it a lot harder for the low-skilled workers to get jobs because if they can't convince an employer to pay them $15 an hour, they're out of luck. They have no choice. I mean, let's say they had a job where they were being paid $12 an hour. Well, if they can't find a buyer for their labor that's willing to go 15, then the only thing they've got is the unemployment check. So what Biden's plan is, is to further incentivize people not to work by paying them more money to not go back to work and then make it even more difficult, assuming they want to go back to work, to make it harder for people that have low skills to get a job because they're not legally employable unless they can convince an employer to pay them $15 an hour. And an employer is only going to pay a worker $15 an hour if that worker is going to deliver more than $15 an hour worth of productivity. If they can't, well, then that person uh, is legally unemployable and we'll just have to get by on these government stipends. So Biden's plan to revive employment is going to achieve the opposite result. It's going to further incentivize people not to work and then make it a lot more difficult for the people who want to work to actually get a job. Biden also talked about more money, direct aid to states and local governments. Obviously, the the governments that have been the most fiscally profligate, the governments that have made the worst decisions and now find themselves in uh, difficult situations, these are the ones that are going to get rewarded with the most federal money. This is not only bad economics, it creates a moral hazard. It sends all the wrong messages, both to the states that were reckless and the states that were not. Because the states that were not reckless, well, they're not really benefiting because now they're not going to get their share of all this government money. So it's going to create a race to the bottom uh, that will make the European Union uh, look look uh, responsible 
by comparison. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Of course, all of the spending that Biden announced that he is in favor of will be entirely financed by the Federal Reserve. I mean, I know the Democrats are thinking about raising taxes. And in fact, Biden did mention how much money the billionaires have made during the pandemic by referencing uh, the increase in their collective net worth. So obviously he sees that as a goodie bag that he wants to try to raid. Uh, But for the most part, it's all going to be from the Federal Reserve. All this money, this $1.9 trillion is going to be printed and spent into circulation. And that is the inflation that is driving commodity prices. It's the anticipation of that inflation. If you've got a small business and you're using anything other than Indeed for your hiring, you're wasting your time, you're wasting your money. You can hire great people faster if you use Indeed. And then you can devote the time that you save by finding the people that you need quicker to growing your business faster as well. Indeed.com is the hiring site that helps you find quality candidates instantly with Indeed's instant match. That lets you do the part that you really need faster. You can meet and hire great people. Unlike some hiring sites, Indeed gives you full control and payment flexibility, delivering a quality shortlist fast. With Indeed, there's no long-term contracts. You can pause your account at any time and you only pay for what you need. Indeed searches through millions of resumes in their database to help you get great candidates instantly. With Instant Match, you can see a list of great candidates with zero weight. And Indeed delivers four times more hires than all the other job sites combined, according to Talent Nest. So you want your quality shortlist fast? You need Indeed. Right now, my listeners get a free $75 credit to upgrade their job search at Indeed.com slash Peter. That's Indeed's best offer available anywhere. You can get a free $75 credit at Indeed.com slash Peter. That's Indeed.com slash Peter. This offer is valid through March 31st. Terms and conditions apply. You know, I read this asinine article, uh, And the reporter who wrote the article, I forget which investment publication it was in, but this guy was actually arguing that Biden's plan was going to be good for the U.S. market and that a lot of investment flows that have been going to emerging markets recently uh, were going to reverse course and now invest in the U.S. because investors are now going to be encouraged by this big economic stimulus. According to this guy, investors were moving into emerging markets because they were worried that we wouldn't get a big enough stimulus. And now that the stimulus is going to be bigger, the money that was going to the emerging markets is going to come back here. It's actually the opposite. I think money was escaping, fleeing the U.S. market because investors know that that stimulus is coming. That stimulus is inflation. That stimulus is going to weaken the U.S. dollar, and that is going to benefit emerging markets, which is why the money is flowing to emerging markets. 
And now that the stimulus is coming and is bigger than people thought, that means it's going to put even more downward pressure on the dollar because the Fed has to print more dollars to pay for it. So that will accelerate the flows of money out of the U.S. market into emerging markets, not reverse them. You know, while I'm talking about the U.S. market, probably one of the most interesting IPOs of the week, and there were quite a few that came out, but this one in particular, I think really typifies everything that's wrong with not only the U.S. market, but with the U.S. economy in general. And this is a very frothy market, and they're pretty much buying anything that comes public. But this particular stock is Affirm Holdings, and it doubled on its IPO debut. And if you haven't heard of Affirm, what Affirm is, it's a lending company. Yeah, You can go to their website online, and you can sign up for an account and they will make you loans. These are non-recourse uh, consumer loans, right? So there's no security behind them, all unsecured, kind of like a credit card, except you don't have a credit card. You set up an account at a firm and then you go shopping. And I think they link to a bunch of websites that are set up with a firm. And then what happens is when you go to check out and buy your merchandise, you check pay using a firm and then a firm will pay for you and effectively loan you the money. And what they do is they allow you in advance to um, determine your payment schedule. Do you want to take three years to repay this? Do you want to take five years to repay it? And their interest rate is 15%. And what they're claiming is that they're giving you a better deal than the credit card companies, which, you know, maybe they are, maybe they're not. I mean, first of all, the credit card companies are giving you a lousy deal. I mean, the worst way to buy stuff is to use a credit card. I mean, if you're going to pay off your credit card in full at the end of the month, yeah, then use your credit card. I mean, I do that all the time. You actually get a free loan from the credit card company because you don't have to pay until the bill comes in. And you can get points. You can, you know, for whatever, you can get cash back. So if you're using the credit card the right way, then it makes sense. But unfortunately, a lot of Americans just buy stuff they can't afford. And so they can't pay the bill when it comes in. And so they make the minimum payment, uh, which means they're paying, you know, maybe 18% or 21% interest. So in that case, maybe 15% isn't as lousy a deal. So maybe uh, the loan sharks at a firm are not quite as bad as the loan sharks at Visa or MasterCard. But that doesn't mean that this is a good way to buy stuff. It is a horrible way to buy stuff. And again, it epitomizes not only what's wrong with the market in the valuation of the company. And obviously, once this uh, recession really hits, um, a lot of these loans are going bad. I mean, I think they're throwing lifelines to a lot of people uh, and allowing people to buy stuff that they really can't afford with money that they don't have. And they're extending these loans uh, but what happens when the loans don't get repaid and the company all of a sudden has these massive losses, which is what I think is going to happen uh, to a firm. I think the same thing is going to happen to a lot of these credit card companies uh, when their customers can't repay their loans. But the underlying issue or the greater problem is this whole idea that consumers are buying stuff that they can't afford. I mean, once upon a time in America... This is not the way it worked, right? If you wanted to buy something and you didn't have the money, you saved up for it. You know, a lot of stores had something called layaway, right? If you saw merchandise that you wanted, 
you would put some money down and then maybe every week you would give them a little bit more money until you know you could afford to buy the, the product and then you would give them the rest of the money and they would give you the merchandise or consumers would just save right you would put your money into a savings account until you saved up enough money to buy what you wanted and there are so many positive aspects of saving and then buying both to the individual and to society as a whole. First of all, when you save your money to buy something, and this is particularly true when we had sound money and you could get interest on your savings, as you're saving money, you're earning interest. And so you can use the interest you're earning to help pay for the stuff that you're buying. And so that reduces your cost. But when you borrow to buy something, the interest that you pay on the money you borrow increases your cost. So consumption is cheaper if you finance it from savings. It's more expensive if you finance it from debt. So if over a lifetime you save in order to consume, you will end up consuming a lot more than if you borrow to pay for your consumption because now you have to pay for all the interest instead of earning the interest while you were saving for the things that you needed. So this way, the Affirm way and the credit card way makes things more expensive, but also in a sound economy where you have a free market that is working to lower prices, if you are saving up to buy the things that you want while you are saving and earning interest, the price of the stuff that you wanna buy is actually coming down. So that means you don't even have to save as much money to buy what you want. But if you borrow to buy the stuff right now, you're paying the higher price because you haven't allowed the market to reduce the price through greater efficiencies or economies of scale. But the other, maybe even more important aspect is that when you're saving your money in order to buy, and if you put your money into a bank to save up for stuff, now the bank has that money to make loans to businesses that are going to use your savings productively to invest in plant and equipment and produce more stuff and uh, create employment opportunities and raise living standards. Society gets the benefit of those savings. But on the other hand, if you as a consumer just go out and borrow money, well, that depletes the pool of savings available for entrepreneurs to invest in productive capacity planted equipment. So instead of providing savings to the economy, you're drawing down savings that might otherwise have been available to finance investment and production, and instead it's being used to finance consumption. So society is worth off, the individual is worse off, everybody loses because of this type of finance. And the only reason that we have this now is because of the cheap money policy of the Fed, because of the tax code. The way the U.S. government has so distorted the economy, we have people using companies like a firm to buy stuff they can't afford with money they don't have. And in the process, they undermine economic growth and lower everybody's standard of living, especially their own. You know, and while I am talking about government lowering standards of living, I guess that's a good segue into Social Security because I wanted to talk about that. And of course, Social Security, the reason that Social Security so lowers everybody's standard of living is because money that otherwise would have been saved for retirement is taxed by the government and then spent. 
You see, before the government was there supposedly to take care of everybody when they got older, more people took care of themselves. People took money and invested it productively so that they can draw down uh, those investments in retirement. But now they have a government promise. It's an intergenerational Ponzi scheme. And so people aren't saving for their retirement. They're counting on the government to tax their kids to fund their retirement. Problem is the kids are broke and there's not enough of them uh, to pay for the generation that preceded them. But that's not the reason that I wanted to talk about Social Security today. I mean, I can go for several different podcasts into all the problems in the Social Security Ponzi scheme. But the reason I wanted to bring it up now has to do with the so-called Social Security trust funds, because this is another aspect that I haven't really been focusing on. I've been talking more about foreign central banks, countries like China, which used to be big buyers of U.S. treasuries, and which once upon a time, Joe Biden might have been able to count on China, for example, to buy a lot of the bonds that the Treasury is going to be selling to finance the stimulus. Well, we can't really count on China anymore or any of our trading partners, I think, for that matter. I think the world is trying to get rid of U.S. Treasuries, not accumulate more. Uh, So I think we're out of luck in that respect. So the Federal Reserve is unfortunately going to be picking up the slack by printing the money that the Chinese don't want to loan us. But I haven't really been talking too much about the other big buyer of U.S. Treasuries that is now a major seller, and that is the Social Security so-called trust funds. Now, you know, I put quotes around trust funds because they're not really a trust fund uh, the way a trust fund would normally be defined because the only thing that's in there is U.S. government bonds. And again, you can't write yourself an IOU and claim that you've got some kind of a fund, right? A lot of people don't get this because they think U.S. treasuries are assets. Well, they're assets to private citizens, right? If I, Peter Schiff, own a U.S. Treasury bond, which of course I'm not dumb enough to actually buy one, right? I'm not going to loan any money to the U.S. government. But assuming that I did and I loan the U.S. government money and now I have a Treasury bond, right? That Treasury bond is an asset to me. But because it's an asset to me, it is a liability to the U.S. government, right? The U.S. government owes me the money. My asset is their liability, right? Just like if I write a check, if I write somebody a check, you know, to buy something, I write a check, let's say $1,000, I sign Peter Schiff on the bottom of the check, and I hand somebody that check, that check is an asset to the person who holds it. But it's a liability to me. I owe that guy $1,000, right? Now, if the U.S. government owns its own bond, it owns its own treasury, then it's not an asset. A U.S. treasury can't be an asset to the U.S. government because it's both an asset and a liability. Just like I can't write myself a check. I mean, in theory, I could, right? I could write a check to Peter Schiff from my own account, right, for $1,000. Well, you know, if I stuck that in some trust fund, can I claim, hey, look, I got $1,000 in the trust fund. Well, no, I don't. I owe $1,000 to myself. I, ha- I, you know, I take $1,000 out of my left pocket and I put it in my right pocket. I'm no better off. I just shifted which pocket my money is. That's what happens with the government. When the government has a trust fund and the only thing in the trust fund is IOUs to itself, it's not a real trust fund. I mean, if the Social Security trust funds had German government bonds or Japanese government bonds, okay, then it would be an asset of the U.S. government because it would be a liability of Germany 
or Japan, or if they had private debt in there, if they had obligations of U.S. corporations, right, then it would be a real asset. But the, the trust funds don't invest in that by law. The only thing the U.S. trust funds can invest in is U.S. government bonds, which means they're not trust funds at all. The whole idea is that if Social Security tax revenues, right, are not sufficient to pay the benefits, well, they'll tap into the trust fund. Well, how does the Social Security Trust Fund tap into it? Or how does the government tap into the Social Security Trust Fund? Well, it goes into the Social Security Trust Fund, takes the U.S. Treasury, and then sells it into the market. Well, what would the U.S. government do if it had no trust fund? Take a treasury and sell it into the market. So in other words, the U.S. government does exactly the same thing with a trust fund as it would do if it had no trust fund at all. So the trust funds are there in name only. The trust funds are there to con the public into thinking there's actually something behind the government's promise to make social security payments. There's nothing behind it. It's an empty promise. It is a con. There is no trust fund there. And, and therefore the whole system is completely insolvent. But the point for today's topic is while the trust funds, so-called trust funds, were investing their surpluses in U.S. government bonds, right? The U.S. government could sell bonds to Social Security, in effect, borrowing away and spending these Social Security contributions, right, that they were collecting. But here's the problem. The pandemic has accelerated the collapse of these so-called trust funds because, number one, Social Security right now is paying out in benefits more than it collects in taxes. And the pandemic has accelerated that gap because now a lot of people are not working. The labor force participation rate has collapsed. So a lot of people who used to go to work and pay social security taxes, they ain't working and they ain't paying those taxes. But the government still has to pay benefits to all the retirees. In fact, more and more people are retiring every day. And now, because the labor market is so lousy, more people are choosing early retirement. So there are a lot of people who may have worked a few extra years. Now they're deciding to retire as soon as they can. And so they're not paying Social Security taxes either, but now they're drawing Social Security benefits and then adding insult to injury. Donald Trump passed that law, which is getting extended, where there's a hiatus, there's a deferral, where people are not having to make their Social Security tax payments now. They're able to keep the money and pay later. And so the Social Security quote-unquote trust funds are being completely starved of their revenue sources. And so the money to pay for the current beneficiaries is being raised by the Social Security trust fund selling treasuries into the market, right? So instead of being a buyer of U.S. treasuries, the U.S. Social Security Trust Fund is also a seller of U.S. Treasuries. So you've got the Chinese and other foreign central banks that used to be buyers. Well, now they're sellers. And you have the Social Security Trust Fund that used to be a big buyer, which is now a big seller. Who's buying Treasuries? Nobody. The Fed. That's it. I mean, other than speculators who want to piggyback on the Fed, who want a short-term you know, gamble, 
But all these guys are going to leave the market as inflation explodes and treasuries become a bigger and bigger losing investment for anybody who's actually buying them as an investment. And therefore, the only buyer left in the market is the Federal Reserve that doesn't care how much money it loses on treasuries because it prints the money anyway. And so it costs nothing. And so they'll just keep buying. And that's where we're headed. And my point is that the Social Security trust funds are just going to further complicate the efforts of the Biden administration to quote unquote stimulate the economy with more deficits when the social security funds are not going to be there the way they were for Obama when Obama was president. They're not there. They can't loot those so-called trust funds because the trust funds are already being depleted. And of course, it makes no technical difference once the trust funds are completely empty. And I think they will be empty by the end of this decade. But they're already empty because there's nothing there. Because the only difference is when the trust funds are depleted, instead of selling bonds from its left pocket, the U.S. government sells bonds from its right pocket. But it's the same thing. The U.S. government has to go into the market, whether it's through a trust fund or directly, and sell bonds to the public. But since the public won't buy them, the only buyer is the Federal Reserve. The Federal Reserve only gets the money by printing it, which means the benefits are worthless. In fact, I've mentioned that before on this podcast. My father put a page from the congressional record in which Senator William Proxmire, this goes back to the 1960s, who was the uh, chairman of the Money and Banking committee in the Senate. And he said of Social Security, he said, don't worry, all Social Security benefits will be paid. Uh, The U.S. government has the power to print money and we will use this power. That means all the Social Security benefits will be paid. They may be worthless when Social Security recipients get them, but they will be paid nonetheless, which was an official admission uh, by the United States Senate that people who eventually get paid Social Security benefits will be paid with worthless dollars. But of course, if Social Security benefits are worthless, then all dollars are worthless because that's what Social Security benefits are. They're dollars. So if the Social Security benefits are worthless, then your bonds are worthless, your pensions, uh, your cash value and your insurance, all your dollar-denominated financial assets are worthless. That is where we're headed. And I think we're now headed there at a much faster pace thanks to COVID and now thanks to the election of uh, Joe Biden and the Democrats controlling the Senate and the House. So the sooner you can act to protect yourself, the better. In fact, I think people are getting a bit of a reprieve here, the investors, because you have this pullback again in the price of gold. You've got a bit of a pullback again in gold mining stocks. The dollar is rallying a bit off the floor. Again, all of this is in response to rising interest rates, but rates are only rising due to inflation. And we're having inflation because the Fed is printing money. They're gonna print a lot more money. So this is a dead cat bounce in the dollar. It's going much lower. Commodity prices are going much higher, especially gold prices. You know, I think it's interesting that gold is the one commodity that's really not moving up. You can look at copper, you can look at nickel, you can look at wheat, corn, soybeans, all these commodities, lumber, Uh, everything is going up much, much faster right now than gold because these other commodities, or I guess investors, traders in these commodities are not worried about rising interest rates the way the gold investors are. In fact, it seems like gold traders are the most fixated 
on the increase in interest rates and somehow worried that this is going to stymie the bull market in gold. It's not. Again, they're looking at a playbook that has been thrown away a long time ago. The Fed is not going to fight inflation. It's going to surrender to inflation. And when you have a market driven by inflation, uh, that is the best environment for gold. In fact, when you think about it, and again, this is why gold is a store of value and why something like Bitcoin is not a store of value and can never be a store of value. When you're in a market where commodity prices are rising and money is losing value, paper money is losing value, what do you do, right? If you need to buy commodities in the future, let's say you know you're going to need to buy wheat in a few years or lumber or oil, and you see the price going up right now, what do you do? Well, you can say, you know, I'm going to buy all the wheat that I'm going to need in a few years, but I'm going to buy it right now because if I wait until I actually need it, the price is going to be a lot higher. So let me just buy it now. The problem is, where do you put it? How do you store it? What if it goes bad? How do you keep it from going bad? That's the problem. A lot of commodities are bulky. They're perishable. They're hard to store. You can't just buy them years before you actually need them. Now, there are financial derivatives out there. You know, people can buy futures right now that we have these type of things. So you could buy wheat for future delivery. But forgetting about all that, let's go back to just basic economics. Forget about all these financial products and their counterparty risks. Just go back to the good old days, you know, uh, before we had any of that. How would somebody hedge, right? If I am a baker and I think the price of wheat or other commodities that I need to bake bread If I think these prices are going to be much higher in a few years, what do I do? Well, I could buy gold, right? Because gold is a commodity, just like wheat, right? But there is a historic relationship between the price of wheat and the price of gold. And so if all commodities are getting more expensive because paper money is losing value, and I know that I'm going to need certain commodities in the future, but I don't want to store them, I can buy gold and store that. Because gold is easy to store. You get a lot of value in a small area. It doesn't rot. It doesn't decay, right? It doesn't matter how long I store it. I can always use my gold to buy whatever commodities I need. So that's what people do. They buy gold instead of other commodities, even though they themselves don't need gold. They may need the other commodities. They know somebody will need gold. Who's going to need gold? The jeweler. The jeweler is always going to need gold. Now, obviously, a jeweler could just stock up on gold today that he's going to need in the future. So just buy a bunch of gold. But also you have computer chip manufacturers that are going to need gold. People that are uh, manufacturing for the dental industry, they're going to need gold. They could stock up. But there's always going to be demand for that gold in the future because there are people who are going to need to use gold as metal. But my point is, when you're in an inflationary environment where people are trying to protect their purchasing power, but they can't load up on wheat or oil because of how hard it is to store, then you get more demand for gold, not just by people who need the gold, but by people who need other stuff but want to buy the gold now to use the gold to buy the other stuff that they need in the future. Because if they just hold paper, well, the paper is losing value too quickly. They may not be able to afford the other things they need in the future. So they buy gold today to use the gold to buy those things in the future. And even if they don't directly trade their gold uh, with, you know, the the farmer, uh, they can sell the gold 
to the jeweler and then to get the money to buy the farmer. But the bottom line is that's why gold should do even better than other commodities in inflation is because during a high inflation time is when you have increased demand for gold on the part of everybody who's looking to protect their purchasing power from inflation. Now, Bitcoin can never serve that function because Bitcoin has no end user. There is no jeweler who needs Bitcoin. There is no computer chip manufacturer that needs Bitcoin. There is no dentist that needs Bitcoin. The only person that needs Bitcoin is a speculator. And how do you know that there'll be speculative demand for Bitcoin in the future? You don't. Maybe there's speculative demand for it now, but there may be no speculative demand in the future. In fact, there may be nothing but selling. If the price is collapsing in the future because the bubble is burst, you may end up losing more money on your Bitcoin than you lost had you stayed in U.S. dollars. I mean, there is no historic relationship between Bitcoin and the price of anything because you don't even have a history of Bitcoin beyond 10 years. But since it's not an actual commodity, how can it possibly relate to the price of any other commodity? Gold can relate to oil or it can relate to corn or soybeans or copper because all commodities can have a relationship to one another based on their own supply and demand and their characteristics and what they're used for and their relative values and scarcities and things like that. But Bitcoin can't be compared to anything because it's nothing.